1: Chicago's own Tom Skilling. For 45 years, he has predicted the weather and helped you understand the science behind it. He's guided us through rain and shine, floods and droughts, blizzards and heat waves. He's chased tornadoes and been chased by them.
0: It's right overhead almost. Wow. Oh, my God. There it is. Wow. It's literally right behind us. It's right above us. Come on being chased by a multiple vortex tornado this is like something out of a movie
1: and as you've most likely heard he is hanging his hat next month when he retires from his role as chief meteorologist at wgn now before that we've invited him on the show and we started off at the beginning and i mean the very beginning tom got his start giving weather reports at the tender age of 14. so i had to ask him how
0: I was always interested in the weather. My parents could never quite figure out what they had done wrong to get somebody so so wedded to this notion that he was headed toward a career in meteorology, but I never <laughs> thought I'd go into media weather. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know where this came from. Nobody in the family was uh, in involved in meteorology, but you know something? It's been a lifelong passion. And, uh, boy, for anybody to be able to pursue a career that, you know, has been something they love yeah. is, is so amazing. Well, You know, Sasha, I went to work thinking they were going to fire me uh, the early part of my career. And so to be approaching age 72 and and
1: to have made it through in this yeah. dog-eat-dog business is, <laughs> is a bit surprising, you know? I mean, what were the weather reports like from 14-year-old Tom? Oh,
0: my goodness. Well, let me tell you how that came about. Um, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I don't remember. Only I only lived there two years, and we moved out to New Jersey. My dad used was a mechanical engineer by trade, and he traveled into New York City every day. He sold huge industrial valves to power plants and to water treatment facilities and all. And I grew up uh, at least 13 years in New Jersey um, and was always fascinated by the weather And when you were a young person interested in weather back in those days, you didn't have the Internet the way young people do today. You had the newspaper and there was a publication that came out of Washington, D.C. from the superintendent of documents uh, uh, facility there. (laughs) They set out something called the daily weather map and when it was mailed from washington i remember i had paper routes to pay for this i, I earned like two or three dollars a week <laughs> and every year you'd send off nine dollars for an airmail delivery of this daily weather map to the superintendent of documents and it would come the next day out in new jersey well lo and behold my dad is transferred out to uh, aurora and i was in the seventh grade and 14 as you you pointed out mm-hmm. and um it turned out the daily weather map arrived four days later Well, this was really your only connection to real-time meteorological data, other than uh, some simple newspaper weather maps. Uh, The daily weather map included an upper air chart. And as a little kid, I used to look at the New York Times and the Newark Evening News, and I saw they would have a weather map. And then there'd be a little insert map that said, here's what the weather map will look like tomorrow. Oh, And lo and behold, there'd be a cold front. That didn't have a storm on it, and in the forecast map, there'd be a storm on it. And I thought, how in the world do they know that a storm's going to develop on that front? And I thought, it must have something to do with the upper air. Well, the only way I could get an upper air map was through the daily weather map. But when we moved to Aurora, it arrived four days later after it was published, mm-hmm. and not the next day. So I wrote a radio station, WKKD, out in Aurora thinking they could do anything, and I'm told I wrote an eight-page letter, uh, (laughs) which suggested that if they could get me some current weather maps, I, as a 14-year-old, would do a better forecast for them in Aurora than they were getting from Chicago. I I look back at that, I think the audacity, uh, (laughs) because I I really wasn't a cocky kid, but I... uh, you know, and the point is, they, they they went to work for me. We, the program manager there, a fellow by the name of Rusty Tim, and I drove into Woodlawn Avenue on the University of Chicago campus, which is when the then Weather Bureau, that's where they issued the forecast for Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin, right there on the campus. Uh, they, they came out of that office on mm-hmm. Woodlawn Avenue, and they decide, they told me they would send some weather maps out if we'd pay for the uh, postage and the reproduction. And I found out later, Sasha, uh, there were only two sets of weather maps sent out from the Weather Bureau office on Woodlawn Avenue, one to Argonne National Laboratory and another one to this Tom Skilling. And I found out from <laughs> Weather Service colleagues, they all wondered who in the world this Tom Skilling right. was we're sending maps out to. So that's how that came into oh my being. Oh,
1: you were destined for this you were destined for this and 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 over the years over the decades tom i mean the way that you do your job and just the field of meteorology i know that that's changed and i I know that as a teen there wasn't you know the doppler radar for instance no
0: no you know sasha it was a different world in fact you know i think most of us in meteorology today look back at Those who came before us, who, for instance, had the responsibility of forecasting uh, the 67 blizzard here in Chicago and the uh, April 21st, 67 terrible tornado outbreak. Both are benchmarks. Uh, The snowstorm in 67 is, to this day, Mm -hmm. the biggest snowstorm that ever hit Chicago. The uh, tornado outbreak, April 21st, 1967, included the Oak Lawn Tornado, the Belvedere Tornado. It was uh, absolutely the the most horrific tornado outbreak this area has ever seen and we've seen some bad ones right. um and you know the forecasters didn't have tools in those days like satellite imagery like doppler radar like numerical model forecasts that right. we look at today and yet they did a, a a respectable job they missed the snowstorm in 67 but um you know did a pretty good job of forecasting the severe weather outbreak that included mm-hmm. the oakland tornado yeah. So it's it's been, it's been remarkable, the changes that have occurred.
1: Well, while we're on the topic of tornadoes, I mentioned, you know, you had a face-off with a tornado Yeah. in in Oklahoma, right?
0: Yeah. You, you know, the people at the station said, um, you've got to do a storm chase. Uh, you gotta go out and chase a tornado. And I said, look, there are three a night on the Discovery Channel, on the Weather Channel. The last thing the world needs is another tornado chase. Oh, but they said, you haven't done it. I said, I don't think anybody gives a darn whether I've done it or not. (laughs) So it was in that environment that they talked me into going out there. And I had done a tornado chase with the College of DuPage folks a decade before. And we'd gone out and unsuccessfully looked for tornadoes in the plains with the, the group from COD. But um, we embarked on this tornado chase, and my word, um, we went out there, and I, you know, all through my entire career, I've talked about tornadoes, I've done programs on them, mm-hmm. I've watched videos on them, but I'd never really seen one uh, personally. I, I probably cleared hundreds of tornado warnings without ever having seen it the tornado. I'm in a windowless office. Uh, Clearing these warnings coming in and looking at uh, storms on radar, but not seeing them from the ground. Well, I saw it. We went out to Oklahoma. We pulled over the side of a road and watched the tornado uh, roping out in its final stages off in the distance. And I thought, well, that's the last tornado we're going to see on this Mm -hmm. trip. We embarked, uh, got back on the highway. And we were there with uh, uh, Spignu uh, Bizdad, uh, who's a photographer with the Chicago Tribune. He was with us in our car. And I had uh, Steve Schur, one of our video journalists, with me, and Pam uh, Grimes, who was our producer. And we're driving down the highway, having seen this one little tornado fade out. Mm -hmm. And uh, Spignu, sitting in the front seat, quietly says, I think we've got one following us. Well, we had so much equipment in the car, you couldn't see out the windows. so I rolled down the window, looked out, and here is this multiple vortex tornado approaching us. We're moving at 60 miles an hour on US 10 down there in northeast Oklahoma, and we've got this multiple vortex tornado uh, approaching us, even moving at 60 miles an hour quickly, and uh, it was fascinating. I mean, to watch that thing evolve in person, um, and I must say it was it was uh, really quite an event. It was wow. uh, they were right. We 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 should have gone there and we did. Oh my so goodness. It was interesting.
1: Well, I mean, I think what's coming across now as we listen to you Tom and and that we can see when you're giving your your weather reports on the air is just how fascinated you are with the with the weather. Oh. I think that is what sucks viewers in when we're watching you. Ah. We love to see how much fun you're having doing this. Uh, what is it that just captivates you about predicting and, and tracking weather events? Well, I, I think
0: uh, the far-reaching impact of the weather. Um, you know, weather reaches into our lives. I, I've always thought the weather person on the air has a unique bond with uh, the audience because it's, we're covering a subject that in one way or another affects everybody. And I've been privileged in the last half century to involved uh, in meteorology during the period in which the science has come forward uh, probably farther in the last 50 years than in all the time back to Aristotle, 340 BC, who wrote the first treatise on meteorology, meteorologica it was called. Okay. And that started the science of meteorology. You realize in the last 50 years... Uh, we've uh, had computer models come on the scene, Doppler radar, satellite. I went to school at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, which is the birthplace of satellite meteorology. And we sat in classrooms up there in the, when I was going to school in the early 70s. And we watched for the first time in real time landfalling hurricanes and thunderstorm complexes that produced tornadoes and floods. We watched them develop. We had never seen that before. Mm. And all I could think was, as somebody who did part-time weather on television up there and was clearly headed in the direction of a broadcast meteorological career, boy, if we could bring this to television... And then the modeling that's done. I mean, we would go on the air years ago, and we'd have a snowstorm we were talking about. And the new data was only starting to come in when we hit the air at 10 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night, depending on what show we were on. Yeah. um uh, today we uh, they run models hourly that enable us to see whether or not our forecast is on track when we're warning millions of people that they may encounter a blizzard tomorrow or something like that we we never had access to that sort of data before now so it's it's really been exciting to watch what's happened look at the accuracy in forecasting uh, hurricane landfalls and all this against a backdrop of climate change, which is ongoing and changing the way our weather is working. So um, it, it's really quite fascinating.
1: You know, WGN producer Bill Snyder has been referred to as the, the Scotty Pippin to your Michael Jordan. <laughs> uh, can you talk more about your relationship with, with Bill and with your other colleagues at the station?
0: I, I'll tell you something. One of the joys of this job has been to work with young people over the years. We've had interns in and to watch careers blossom uh, among these young people as they move into the profession. Um, and Bill is is one of those people. Uh, he started as a young man with me with a passion toward weather. And I, I always tell him that we've got a Vulcan mind meld, uh, you know, the two of us, uh, like something out of Star Trek. Um, because... <laughs> Bill's worked with me so long; uh, I almost don't even have to verbally communicate. We just know what has to be done at mm-hmm. what time, and all the rest. And the two of us complement each other very nicely. Um, so I, I'll tell you, it's it's been fun to watch uh, Bill, uh, you know, coming to uh, his own in this this profession. He always possessed that. That love of weather, which is so evident in so many young people that have come through our office. Wow. Something about this passion for the weather. Maybe it's the fact that we're immersed in this atmosphere. I mean, we all are swimming through this sea of air uh, that -hmm. has profound effects on us. Uh, It affects our psychology, whether we can do our jobs outside, how we dress. How medicines work, even our mood. Mm -hmm. uh, It's all impacted by the weather. And and so it seems those who are engaged in following this amazing atmosphere of ours uh, do so with a unique passion. And Bill is one of those.
1: Yeah, you have a a great relationship, and it it definitely shows, you know, as you talk about the impact of the weather on us, when you first started, Tom, global warming, that was a relatively new term, right? And nowadays, climate change we hear it everywhere it's on the lips of politicians and meteorologists and regular people every day so yeah talk about that how has the science of climate change affected meteorology in your career
0: well I'll tell you something Uh, in my early years when I read uh, uh, synopses of climate change what was supposed to happen I thought boy you're gonna have to prove this to me uh, the Arctic melting, the ice up there and all, how, how, what are the physics of that? How does that work? Well, it does work, and I understand it now. And I've, in my half-century of work, I've seen the atmosphere doing things I've never seen it do before. Um, climate change is real. It's occurring. Uh, it, uh, you know, all weather on Earth is driven by differential heating, the fact that one area warms more than another. We've been pouring gases into the atmosphere that hold on to it and re-radiate heat. And therefore, we're changing uh, the distribution of heat in the planet and its intensity. It's affected our oceans and all the rest. And this affects the weather systems and jet streams and all that steer them uh, above us. Mm. So um, it's it's a real issue. And the insidious thing about climate change, because there are some who continue to, to question the science, uh, is it's not something you see out your window every day. Um, and yet it's ongoing. It tends to come in these extreme weather events that are occurring with increasing frequency and with increasing impact. And by the way, uh, you know, you hear common uh, comments about climate change. We've always had climate change. What's different? And we've survived it. Well, the fact is we've not had climate change like it's happening now. It's happening faster, 10 times faster than anything that's occurred before climate change, the big ice ages, were largely the product of a change in our orbit around the sun and the wobble of Earth on its axis. And those kinds of big climate changes occurred on scales of time that were geologic, uh, tens of thousands of years. What's happening now is happening so fast, it occurs within a single lifetime. So the young person growing up today, I was up in Alaska, we were doing a piece on the changing glaciers. I've been going up there since 1980, and the changes in the high latitudes are really amazing. It's warming fast. Glaciers are melting. And a climatologist I talked to up in the Anchorage area made the comment that his teenage daughter now can, uh, makes reference to her younger years and the changes that she's seen in the ice and the glaciers and the weather up there. And it used to be it took generations to see changes in, in weather. Now we're seeing it in a single lifetime. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, well, you, uh, you know, Well, there's also this idea that you hear banded in, you know, about Chicagoland, that Illinois won't be affected by climate change as much as places like California or coastal cities. Do we just have blinders on?
0: Well, you know, look at some of the changes that we've seen. First of all, our precipitation patterns have changed dramatically. We see that in variations in lake levels. Lake levels have always oscillated. If you plot the changes in Lake Michigan's level, it's like a sine wave uh, uh, plot. Uh, It goes up and down. What's happening is going up and down faster than it used to and to greater extremes, so we get bigger shifts. And when that happens, you've got uh, damage to infrastructure along the coastline. We're a big agricultural state. Our farmers depend on a stable climate. The, climate, the population we have on this planet is the product of a stable climate, and our climate is becoming unstable. This leads to migration of people. You know, uh, the, the whole Inca uh, civilization down in Central America collapsed because of massive drought. Mm-hmm. There's a drought ongoing down there right now. They can't ship the freight uh, through the Panama Canal that we used to. And one wonders, you know, some of the migration uh, toward our southern border is not in part a climate change uh, issue. There are many other issues involved in that as well. But um, there are big implications. Look at the uh, Dust Bowl years. We had a whole population that moved out to the the Plain States. The climate shifted. These people were left high and dry, and with a dust storm that developed, that was a climate change yeah. induced uh, action. So. Climate change is real. And by the way, another interesting thing, there's this notion of what, that somehow climate scientists had changed their minds on climate change. That back in the 70s, the consensus was we were heading toward an ice age, and now uh, they're talking about warming. So the story goes. Yeah. Well, that's, that false notion was the product of a couple of news magazine articles in the 70s. We had started cooling on the northern hemisphere from the end of World War II up through the 1970s. And some uh, outlier scientists extrapolated that to suggest there might be uh, an ice age, or at least a reduction in food production. But that was that was outlier thinking. The fact is, we've known since before the Civil War, scientists have, mm-hmm. that we were going to warm up as we put uh, emissions into the atmosphere from mm-hmm. you know, as part of the Industrial Revolution that started back in the 1700s. So um, the science of warming has been very stable uh, and it really has been only a few discordant vo- voices who suggested that we were going to an ice age. Right. The, the consensus thinking has been we would warm and that's what we're doing.
1: You know, Tom, we are sure going to miss your, your highly educational weather broadcast. What is next for you, though? And I'm hearing it's a mix of the tropical and the snowy.
0: Yeah, Well, you know something, uh, Sasha, it's interesting. I don't. I'm heading into unknown territory. I've worked since I was a teenager. This is strange for me to ponder not going to work every day. But I, I, I look to slow down. I tell people um i'm not going away i'm going to i've been going up to alaska i'll probably travel up there some i've been going to hawaii recently i've I've loved that i find the weather in these different regions fascinating Mm -hmm. but i'm always going to be based here in chicago i hope to do some speaking um i hope to uh well there are all kinds of things that that i'd love to take some people up to alaska for instance uh, as groups and show them what's going on with the climate up there and also introduce them to the beauty of that area and it would be fun to do that out to Hawaii as well. Yeah. Uh, and what else may develop? We'll see. Uh, I, I'm wide open. I, I'll tell you one thing. I won't be content to sit around and watch paint fall off the wall. So
1: <laughs> uh, let me let me add a little pun there. The sky's the limit for you, right? <laughs> ah, I love that. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Uh, you know, you have seen all kinds of weather phenomena tom yes i mean is there one that you haven't seen up close that you would have liked to i'm curious no
0: i I, (laughs) you've seen them all i've seen uh everything i even went out and this was non-meteorological i went out to see the kilauea volcano fascinating and you watch this pyrocumulonimbus cloud it's a big thunderhead that develops over all the heat from the lava but you know i've seen an ice storm that shut down the state of Wisconsin when I was working there. uh, They had 600,000 people without electricity. They had to send generators out to dairy farms to run the electric milkers. I've watched uh, a a mayoral candidate defeated in this city. Uh, The machine candidate, Belandic, uh, defeated by the inadequacy of the snow removal in the Jane Byrne blizzard uh, back in the late 70s. Um, I've seen the coldest temperatures we've ever seen. I've seen the biggest and most deadly natural disaster we've ever had in Chicago, yeah. wow. which was the heat wave of July 1995. Mm-hmm. We lost 700 people to heat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we've we, it's it's been a fascinating career with a whole range of different weather events. I've watched hurricanes. I've flown into them um we track tornadoes it's, it's been interesting what a journey.
1: no question yeah what a journey that's tom skilling retiring chief meteorologist for wgn now his last official day in the role is february 28th tom it has been such a pleasure best of luck to you
0: oh sasha how nice to talk to you and please say hi to everybody your colleagues at wbez you do an amazing job Thanks, it's tom. a real honor to be here with you
1: This episode was produced by Meha Ahmed and edited by Dan Tucker and Brenda Ruiz. If you liked the conversation, please consider leaving us a rating and review, because that helps listeners like you find the show. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. We'll talk again this afternoon.